0: Text for this prayer service comes from Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. And we read there, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. As the Lord Jesus Christ nears the cross, not only is his suffering increasing, But the devil's activity is as well. Throughout this chapter, a clear but horrible picture of his malice is revealed. And one of his goals was to wreak havoc and to destroy the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the beginning of this chapter, we read how he entered into Judas. And Judas went to the chief priests and he covenanted with them. He made an agreement with them. And he promised to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And not content with simply having the soul of the one who would be Christ's betrayer. We learn from our text that the devil was seeking to destroy Peter as well. You can be sure that the devil had set his sights upon each of the Lord's disciples. And he was seeking to cause all of them to fall Later, Peter ironically would write, Satan is a a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Satan has a particular hatred, of course, for the people of God and even more so for those who labor in the Lord's kingdom. Satan has made various attempts to destroy all godly people who are being useful in the Lord's work. We can be certain that we are not immune to his attacks either. He is a mighty and a terrible foe, who Peter would later call a roaring lion. And that means in and of ourselves we are no match for him. And that's what we learn from the words of our Lord Jesus Christ himself in our text. But we also learn that we are not alone in the battle. That we can look to our Lord Jesus Christ who has gone before us into heaven. As our great advocate, he prays for us. And so let's consider these verses under the theme, Christ's intercessory prayers for us. And my points are a little different. Perhaps I'm not sure if there was a bulletin, but I have for the first point, Satan's attempts to destroy us are real. And secondly, Christ's prayers to save us are essential. Christ's intercessory prayers for us, Satan's attempts to destroy us, are real. But Christ's prayers to save us are essential. We need Christ's intercessory prayers because Satan's attempts to attack us and destroy us are real. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Do those words strike terror in your heart? Do they cause you to sit up in your seat and to take notice? Do these words, they, do they fill you with fear? They should. Because these words are not only addressed to the Apostle Peter, but they are addressed to all of the Lord's disciples, the disciples that were there present, of course, the Apostles, but they are also addressed to you and to me. In fact, the you of this text is in the plural in the original. So Jesus here is not speaking simply to Peter. And if you were in the South, you translate it something like this. Indeed, Satan has desired to have you all, that he may sift you as wheat. Now, modern English doesn't make that same distinction between you plural and you singular. But the Greek language can express a plural you as you find it in our text. And while Christ was speaking directly to Peter, he was not speaking exclusively to Peter. And notice what the Lord Jesus calls Peter in this passage. He doesn't call him Peter. He doesn't even call him Simon Peter, as he often does. But instead he says, Simon, Simon. And you may remember that Peter's name before he came to Christ was simply Simon And the Lord Jesus wants Peter to realize that without Christ, he is not Peter. He is not that rock. But rather, he is Simon, a man without Christ. And he draws attention to it by repeating it. And this is a tactic in the the Greek language. Simon, Simon. Also in the Hebrew, if you want to draw attention to it, you repeat it as Isaiah does, for instance, when he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And here the Lord Jesus says, Simon, Simon, indeed, three times, Simon, Simon, he wants him to pay attention. And here the Lord Jesus is referring to the fact that Satan has made a request To tempt him. In the original, it implies that Satan has put in a suit, you might say, a legal lawsuit in heaven's court for Peter. And it tells you that there are spiritual battles being fought today of which we are generally unaware of. Once in a while, we get a glimpse in the scriptures into the reality of these battles, what is occurring in the spiritual realm. In our times, we are allowed to look into this spiritual realm. Remember the time when Elisha's servants' eyes were opened. Remember how there were soldiers all around to capture Elisha. And Elisha was fearful. or Elisha wasn't fearful, but his servant was fearful. Because he says that there were so many enemies there. Elisha makes that profound statement saying, They that be with us are greater than them. And his eyes were open, and he saw the the legions of angels in the heavens who are ready to come to Elisha's defense. And we know another time when we get a glimpse into the spiritual realm is, is when Satan makes an appearance before God and, and and he he asked if he may put Job, God God's righteous servant, to a test. And you remember that on that occasion, the Lord allowed Satan to do his destructive work, but would not allow him to take his life. But the reality is, is that usually we are unaware of these events occurring. And it's only on certain occasions that we, we get these glimpses. And that's what's happening in our text here. The Lord Jesus is telling Peter and telling the rest of the disciples and telling us that Satan has asked for them. He has made a request for Peter and for the other disciples that he may sift them as wheat. Satan is busy today. He seeks the ruin of the Lord's people. He longs for their destruction. He hates believers who, who bear the image of Christ. And if you are a useful servant in the Lord's kingdom, you can be sure that he has his sight set upon you in particular. We do not see him, but we do know he's present. You see, as Christians, we, often, we don't often think about the, the activity of the devil, do we? But he is a terrible foe. You remember, he's the one who brought sin into the world in the beginning. He's the one who was going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down upon it during the days of Job. He's the one whom our Lord calls the prince of this world, a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And John calls him an accuser. And Peter, as we've already said, calls him a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil is the one who overthrew David and Peter and assaulted even Jesus himself. And our text tells us that the devil wanted to sift Peter as wheat. And what does that refer to? Well, you live in the prairies. And so you're familiar with the grain of wheat, perhaps. You know, it grows on a stalk and at the top there is a head of wheat in which you find the kernel's and today, of course, we have large combines which, which go through the ripened fields to harvest the grain. But in the time of Christ, of course, they, these, this equipment was unavailable, and they, to, so the threshing of wheat was done in an entirely different way. The wheat was sheafed together in in bundles and then they were brought to the barnyard or to a place where there was a hard surface. Perhaps a rock where the Mediterranean winds would blow upon it and the kernels of wheat would be threshed out of the heads as it was beat upon that rock and it was beaten with sticks and stones. And then there was that skin which surrounds the kernel. And the kernel with the skin was placed in a large sieve or screen. And the wheat was thrown into the air. And the winds, which often blew off the Mediterranean, would blow away the chaff. Well, combines today, at least when I farmed several years ago, they use a very similar approach, don't they? They have these large screens over which the threshed grain would travel. And the fans blow the chaff. And the chaff would blow away. Well, Satan has asked if he could put Peter along with the other disciples in this large sieve, and so that he could try them. He was making a claim, a claim for which there was lots of evidence, that Peter's confession was was empty. It was like chaff. And when the winds of affliction and, and trouble would blow upon him, there would be nothing of substance left. It would all blow away in the wind. Nothing of value. And so Satan brings this accusation. Probably not unlike that which was brought concerning Job. Let me try him. There's no substance to this man. Let me try him and you will see that he is as chaff, which will blow away in the wind. Give me a chance, but one chance and I'll have him. Let me tempt him with violence against one of the servants of the high priest. And and you will see how he will rely upon the sword to deliver him. Let me tempt him with his anger. Let me place him by Christ's side when Jesus is arrested. And I'm sure that he will run away because at heart he is a coward. Let me allow a lowly servant girl, not, not a, a, a sergeant in the army, not some soldier, but let me get a servant girl to challenge him and to question him and you will find that he will deny you, he will curse you, and he will swear because his faith is so weak, he will surely fall. The devil knew where Peter was most likely to fall. Satan has asked for you. That he may sift you as wheat. What did Peter think of this request? What did Peter think of this request? How did he respond when he heard about the spiritual warfare that was occurring? Did he cry out to the Lord to keep him? Did he ask for Jesus to pray for him? Did he ask how he might be kept from the sifting of the devil? He said, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. Bring it on. I can handle it. I can deal with him. What can he do to me? I am ready to die for you. What could he really do to me? Peter, of course, expresses his pride here. He, he, he didn't recognize his need for Christ's intercessory prayers. He was boastful. You can almost see the sad smile on the face of the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus knew that a life would be laid down. But it wouldn't be Peter. Peter. Here's Peter, but how often aren't we like Peter? You think you can stand in the face of temptation? Do you t- do you at times put yourself in the place of temptation because you believe that you can stand? Do you place yourself in temptation, thinking that you can handle the onslaughts of the wicked one? Do you as a boyfriend or, or a girlfriend, do you tempt your, one another by placing yourself in, in compromising situations where you may be tempted to sin? Or older ones, do you ever let your thoughts dwell upon those issues that have stirred up bitterness in the past and they stir up hatred in your heart? Do you pray, keep me from temptation but then place yourself in temptation's way because you think you can stand? Are we any different than Peter? Thinking that we are strong when we are in fact very weak. Now notice that we are to be on our guard not only in the areas of our weaknesses, but in the areas of our strength. Because what was Peter's strength? Was Peter not a a disciple who was bold and Was he not by nature courageous? Was he not full of energy? He was not afraid, really? He doesn't convey any fear of anyone else? Did Peter not demonstrate this this in his whole life? And where does Peter fall? He falls in that exact area where he thought he was the strongest. If it were Thomas who had whimpered away from the servant girl, we, we would have understood this. But Peter... So let us beware not only of our weaknesses, but also of our strengths. Because the area of our strength is the exact place where we think we can stand without God. We are more likely to acknowledge our weaknesses. We are more likely to cry it out to God because of our great need, because we are aware of our need. Because in the area of our strength, we think we could do without God. But that may very well be the area where we fall. Because it's precisely where there that we think we can stand. But the devil's temptations, they appeared so tantalizing to us. And sometimes he appears even as an angel of light and he tries to persuade us that his way is right. But how many petitions have been made for your soul? He doesn't only want your time. He doesn't only want your money. He doesn't only want your affection. He wants you, you see. He wants you. Do you believe that Satan's temptations are real? We should flee from every appearance of of evil, shouldn't we? So often we, we push the limits, don't we? Because we think like Peter that we can stand. And this perhaps is particularly a temptation of the, of the young people. And we ask the question of our parents and of our elders, well, well, what's wrong with it? Maybe we should ask, well, what's right about it? Is it holy? Is it in accordance with the will of God? You see, so often we think we can juggle red-hot coals of of temptation without getting burned. And and we as Peter, we, we may even court sin. But let us recognize the wiles of the devil and run from every appearance of evil. Because Satan's attempts to destroy us are real. Because we know that Peter in our text, while he boasts here, that in the end he fails miserably. Later that evening, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, pray that you enter not into temptation. And then he withdrew, remember, and prayed that the cup might pass from him. And and what did the disciples do? What did Peter do? Did he stand with the Lord as he had boasted earlier that evening? No, he fell asleep. And Satan was gloating. I've got him now. And then we read of Christ's arrest in the garden. And while this passage tells us of Peter cutting off Malchus's ear, yet the other gospels tell us that eventually they all fled, including Peter. And you can think of the devil as he gloats and he says, Ah, he shall never stand. And then we read of Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus when confronted by a servant girl of all things. And he says, I know not the man. And he denies. His knowledge of Christ with cursing and with swearing. And Satan probably thought, now, now I have him. Now he's mine. Do you see how Satan's attempts to destroy us are real? And this shows us that Christ's prayers for us, as we see in the second point, are essential. Christ's prayers for us are essential. Jesus says, but. That's an interesting word, isn't it? We don't often pay attention to it, but it has profound significance not only in this place in the scripture, but in other places too. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 2, of course, where Paul describes how we were dead in trespasses and sins and how that we we walked according to the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. And and then it says in verse 4, but. But God, but God who is rich in mercy. And here in our text, it says, but I have prayed for thee. You see, while Satan is the great accuser, the great adversary, we have a great advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ. And later that night, the Lord Jesus would be praying, filled with anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying that the cup would pass from him. And being in agony, he prayed earnestly for himself. But we know also that he prayed for Peter. But I have prayed for thee. What a compassionate high priest. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. You realize that Jesus made this statement when he was facing the reality of his own suffering. And this shows the love of Christ for for Peter. That at the very time that he's under this enormous weight and he's suffering and he's beginning to feel the intensity of it so that he, he, he cries to God, he prays for Peter. And here we see the great love of the Lord Jesus, not only for Peter, but for sinners. Here we see the great love of Christ. He prays on the basis of what he was soon going to experience. And he was going to experience the full onslaught of the the wicked one. He was well aware that, that Peter would fall when he was tempted. He, in fact, warned him so that before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. Lord Jesus is going to conquer the devil. though. He was going to be face to face with all the wickedness of hell. And he was going to triumph over it. And he was going to crush the head of the serpent. The son of God. Sought. The strength and the grace for his disciple. You see Peter though weakened himself and is shielded by the supplications of the Lord Jesus Christ for him. And that's why his faith would not fail. Not because of Peter, but because of the Lord Jesus. Have you ever reflected on why Peter repented of his sin of denying the Lord? Well, Judas never repented. Both of them, you might say, had areas of sin in their life... Judas, in regards to his love for money, but Peter, in regards to his arrogant self confidence. Yet the one believed, and one never repented. And the difference was the prayers of Jesus. We stand in need of the intercession of our Savior. You see, it's not that just he died for us. It's not that he just rose from the dead for us. But he ever, as the writer of Hebrews says, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He intercedes for us, that we would be kept from temptation, that we would not only be kept from sin, but that when we sin, we would come to repentance over our sin. And that's why Jesus comes with this promise to Peter. When thou art converted... Strengthen thy brethren. And it's not that he's talking about Peter's initial conversion here. But when he comes to repentance, and he comes to repentance over his sin, and experiences the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ for his sin, that he would also strengthen the brethren. And so the Lord Jesus speaks with absolute confidence and assurance that Peter will be kept, of Peter's repentance, of Peter's preservation, because he prayed for Peter. The trial would be severe, but it would not destroy his disciple. You see, in the end, God would use Satan's testing in Peter's life to strengthen him so that Peter would learn that when he was weak, then he was strong. And he would learn to depend Not upon himself, but he would lean upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He would depend less upon his own personal courage and boldness, but more upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord would use Satan's sieve to accomplish his noble purposes. No disciple for whom the Lord intercedes will ever fall to destruction. He prays like this for every one of his children. And that means if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, that none of Satan's attacks will prevail. They shall never overwhelm you. We may tremble, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts in high places. And so we should tremble. And there may be times when we fall into temptation even to the point of denying the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need not fear when Jesus is praying for us. Now our text is very specific here. Earlier we said that the you of Satan has desired to have you was plural, but now it's singular. I have prayed for thee, and thee is singular. I have prayed for thee. And there's something really pastoral here. You know, there's something when the pastor prays in general for the sick of the congregation, isn't there? And that's most certainly appropriate because there's always people who are sick of whom we are unaware. Maybe the pastor is even unaware. But when the pastor prays for you specifically by name... There's something very endearing about that for the congregation, that we have surrounded this brother or the sister who is ill with prayer, and we are mentioning their name specifically before the throne of grace as a congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is a much more glorious truth. The Lord Jesus takes the name of each of us on his lips to pray For you. For you. And that's even pictured in in baptism already, isn't it? Your particular name is mentioned. When the pastor says, I baptize you, so and so, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so your name is mentioned. Because the promises of God's covenant are given to you in particular. And the same is true of Christ's prayers for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And so, congregation, it's important for us to realize Christ's priestly office here and his intercession for us. And let us be aware of the thought that we only think of Jesus who died for us. Now, that's important. But let us think of him as a living Savior who intercedes for us now. He is risen again. He's ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God, and he makes intercession for us. And what comfort and assurance this gives us in this battle, in this conflict that we experience in this life. The Lord Jesus continues to pray even when your prayers end. You know there are times when it seems like our prayers aren't being answered and and we have those occasions when it, when we pray we pray and it seems like the prayers never ascend beyond the ceiling of the room in which we are and there are other times when when we are so discouraged or in such distress or under such burdens that we can't even pray But Jesus continues to pray for us. And the Spirit prays with with yearnings that cannot even be uttered. And Jesus calls down, if necessary, as we saw, legions of angels to surround his people. Nothing in the universe can touch any of his sheep. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Nothing at all. Peter, going through this colossal failure, we know that he, he left the high priest's court and he wept bitterly. And you can imagine being in his situation, at least I can, thinking, was I ever really a real disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Was it ever real? Do I really believe that Jesus was the Christ? Why did I deny him? And maybe you've had those thoughts after falling into temptation yourself. And you ask yourself, have I really repented? How could I commit such a sin and still believe that I am a believer Then the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, no doubt, rung in Peter's ears. I have prayed for thee, Peter. I have prayed for thee. Doesn't the Lord Jesus show his compassion for sinners here? His love for sinners. To those who have fallen into sin here. Do we not see something of the loveliness of the Lord Jesus Christ? He did this at the very time when soon he was going to face the very wrath of God because of our sin, because of Peter's sin. The Lord Jesus also comes to us, doesn't he? He also comes to us. Have you ever turned to the Lord from your sin? Has his intercessory prayers led you to repentance over your sin? That's what it did in Peter's life, didn't it? Has he on occasion opened your eyes to the reality of your sin and you suddenly realize how, how evil and how wicked and how rebellious you are in your own heart and, and how weak and frail and prone to temptation that you are and how quick you are to, to sin? Well, here the Lord Jesus is instructing us that we can come to him because he's prayed for us and as we close this sermon let me remind you that we cannot even live one day without the intercessory prayers of our Lord Jesus Christ have you ever wondered why the Lord Jesus tied Peter's denial with the crowing of a rooster you ever thought about that What is the significance to the crowing of the rooster? Well, when do roosters crow? We don't live in this kind of society today. But I remember being in Guatemala several times and laying in bed in the compound there. And and there, there were chickens and roosters running all over the place. And every morning, the roosters would crow, let me tell you. You don't need an alarm clock there because they would crow and crow and crow. Now put yourself in Peter's situation for a minute. They lived in an agricultural society. Every family had a few roosters and a few chickens around, I'm sure. And every morning, every morning, he would hear the rooster crow. And what purpose would that serve in Peter's life? It would remind him of this time. And not only of his failure, but he would remember the need of Christ's intercessory prayers in his life. He would remember the, the grace of his Savior that led him to repentance and restored him as a disciple and brought him into the ministry. The rest of his life, every morning, he'd be reminded of the, of the words of the Lord Jesus, but I have prayed for thee, but I have prayed for thee, but I have prayed for thee. Maybe you can get an alarm clock. You can probably get on your cell phone today. Maybe get a, maybe use a rooster. I'm sure there's a rooster crow sound on your cell phone or or get an alarm clock that crows as a rooster. And every morning, hear the rooster crow like Peter. It would be a good reminder. But I have prayed for thee. I have prayed for thee. All this reminds us of our hope and all of our confidence is truly in God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing for still our ancient foe the devil does seek to work us woe his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal did we like peter in our own strength confined our striving would be losing we're not the right man on our side the man of god's own choosing Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world, with devils filled, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall foul him. Amen.